Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. For a radio audience tuning in at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all can be with us. Also, tuning in to our online affiliates around the world, we're glad you all could be with us as well. You know, I think all of us these days, especially here in the South, have uh, taken to bottled water. It's a great way to be able to travel with our water to make sure we have it when we need it. But our next guest is getting us to look at bottled water and also the issue of water in a different way, and I'm really excited about this. When I first started reading this book, I was fascinated about the different cross-sections that kind of come across, not only when it comes to the issue of recycling and climate change, but also water justice as well. We're excited to welcome Daniel Jaffe to our broadcast today. His new book is called Unbottled, The Fight Against Plastic Water and for Water Justice. I'm excited about this conversation. We're going to talk to Daniel not only about the writing of the book, the individuals he's able to interview when he came to writing it, but also what he wants you as readers to take away from this issue as well. Daniel, thank you again for the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Cyrus. It's great to be here. Well, this uh, book is really fascinating. I should let our audience know it's published by University of California Press. We're going to remind them of that at the end of the broadcast. Daniel, so I have to ask you, uh, the book's now been out for about a month. What has it been like for you to see the response to it? Uh, I don't actually have a huge a way to gauge the response other than um, interest of radio stations in doing interviews, done a lot of that. Um, but uh, it's a little early days. It's, a, it's still, still early to tell. Yeah. This is an interesting topic, though, as I mentioned in my introduction, Daniel, because one of the things, of course, we especially in the South hear about, of course, are the, you know, the, the benefits of bottled water in particular, of course, being able to travel with it and to make sure that you're getting your water intake, you know, to, to make sure also, of course, we know when it comes to disasters like we have here in the South, it's very big for us to make sure we have safe water. What has it been like for you, though, to show the way that it has had its benefits for some, but also the long-term effects? Fits a bottle of water. Yes, well, um, that's a great way to start because I say in the book, you know, I confess I'm old enough to, you know, remember a time when I was in grade school <laughs> back in the 1980s when single-serving, single-use plastic bottled water was not a product anybody ever saw. It didn't exist yeah. basically. And um, you know, in 1980, uh, when I was in grade school, uh, Americans consumed two gallons per person per year on average, and that was mostly you know, Perrier and those heavy glass bottles, kind of a luxury product, right? And somehow we got from that to just over four decades later, uh, latest statistic, Americans consuming um, uh, 47 gallons per person per year in, in 2021. And so that's kind of a riddle. How, how um, people in a country with, who have access to largely, uh, overwhelmingly, safe tap water available 24-7, the privilege of that, um, would choose to consume a product that is both hundreds to thousands of times more expensive, um, has a much higher environmental impact, um, uh, and also um, is actually less strictly regulated uh, than public tap water. And that riddle really took me down this road into looking at the history um, of the reasons for that, which include marketing by the, the industry that in some cases has sort of cast 
doubt either subtly or overtly on the safety of public tap water. Uh, not yeah. all companies, not all the time, uh, but and also some of the social changes, people's you know, mobility and people's concern with uh, uh, portability and that sort of thing. But one of the things I learned in the process was, you know, that bottled water turns out to not just be sort of a controversial product with a lot of negative environmental impacts, but it also ends up being pretty deeply connected to the social justice crisis of uneven access to safe and affordable water, both, you know, around the world and here at home in the U.S. And um, I found that growing dependence on bottled water and growing spending on bottled water is widening already wide economic and racial inequalities between sort of the clean water haves and the clean water have-nots. Well, I think the interesting thing for me, Daniel, in reading the book is that I, again, thinking about my radio audience in particular, right? And, and of course, you know, so much of what we've seen in, like, with, with Flint, Michigan, and, and other places, unfortunately, we've heard so many, you know, things about the water. Your, your point about the marketing is definitely something that I think is of note, especially for our audience. My, my mother is a big uh, bottled water advocate. Um, she thinks, we live here, in, of course, in, in southern uh, Mississippi, she thinks that the, uh, the, the tap water smells. She, it has nothing to do with the taste, but she says that there's an odor to it. So I think some of these, I don't personally smell it, <laughs> but, but it just goes to how people have their own thoughts as to why this is a better option for them. I love the fact that you were kind of even-handed in your approach in this, though, in that, of course, t- taking into account, Daniel, those who turn to bottled water, and we see it all the time. We've had it this year already, where you know the city of Jackson, that made national news, did not have running water, right? So bottled water was one of the big things that came in for that. What was it like for you to kind of look at both sides of this when it's in a time of when it comes to disaster and special needs, but also this day-to-day use? Yes, I'm really glad you brought that up because you know it's in it's indubitable, it's undeniable that media coverage of these still rare but really high-profile. Um, unsafe water crises in place like, places like Flint and Jackson, some communities in the Southwest and rural communities in California and elsewhere um, get a lot of attention and they definitely influence people's perceptions about tap water, even far beyond the immediate area that's affected by those crises. So we have to acknowledge that. And the other thing, you know, that's important to, to understand is, um, and at, the more I dug into this, the more surprising it was, um, Overwhelmingly, it turns out that tap water, public tap water in the U.S. is and remains overwhelmingly safe to drink and meets all federal safety regulations. Um, it turns out that every, on an average year, only 7 to 8% of water systems in the U.S. even have one health violation of the, the federal law, the, the Safe Drinking Water Act, that, that regulates um, water systems. Um, and many of those are, are fixed immediately within days or weeks. But it turns out that those, so, you know, so the overwhelming bulk of, of tap water is indeed safe to drink and meets the safety standards. But the problems I just mentioned are not um, evenly distributed. They end up being concentrated where you might expect them in overwhelmingly in low-income communities, um, rural communities, and communities with large percentages of people of color, especially black and Latino, Latina um, residents. And so, uh, you know, it's not surprising then that polls, opinion polls find out that it's just those exact groups, low-income 
um, black and Hispanic uh, adults who worry the most about their tap water and, um, and also who consume the most bottled water. They turn to bottled water the most. And, um, you know, and some studies have found that um, those communities of color and low-income communities uh, buy about twice as much bottled water as upper income uh, and white households. And so I think rather than, you know, and obviously if only seven to eight percent of uh, water systems ever in one year even have one health-related problem, but uh, the statistics show that 20 percent of the U.S. population, one in five people, don't ever drink from the tap. So there's obviously a mismatch there, and clearly some people are walking away from water that is very safe to drink. But I think rather than focus on, you know, any idea of misperceptions, we should, you know, understand that people, um, uh, low-income folks, communities of color are probably looking at the, 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 the distribution of the risks to tap water and making a rational decision. And so that's why in the book I say we will never solve this problem of growing distrust in tap water and people turning to very expensive bottled water um, than the poorest folks paying the most for that, um, unless we reinvest in our public tap water systems at a national level so that the water once again can be safe and reliable and trustworthy for everybody. Because we have a almost 50-year process of the federal government disinvesting in our tap water systems and the communities that have the least the smallest tax bases, the lowest income are going to have the hardest time making up for that missing money. So we've got to invest across the board to restore water to being trustworthy. Exactly. And that's a part of what this book definitely addresses. I want to say for those who are just tuning in, either on the radio side or online, you're listening to Conversations Live. Daniel Jaffe is our guest for this segment. We're discussing his brand new book. It's called Unbottled, The Fight Against Plastic Water and for Water Justice. I want to talk about the latter part of the subtitle there, Daniel, for a moment, Water Justice, because another part of this is you, you not only give the stats in the history, but you also talk to activists involved. Talk to us about what those conversations were like when it came to this topic and what their concerns were primarily when it came to the rise in bottled water and, and plastic. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's really the heart of the book is sort of that it turns out that, that the, the dramatic growth of bottled water over these years has also generated a backlash. It's generated um, grassroots movements and other movements that have responded and many of them are opposing this product for a variety of reasons some for the environmental effects, some for the social justice impact, some because they are worried about the threat that um, continued growth of bottled water poses to the future of our public water systems or even um, the threat it might pose to um, guaranteeing the human right to water. So I talked to people from a whole range of different movements, um, talked to some um, activists and academics um, uh, from Flint and around Flint uh, and in other parts of the country looking at uh, the safety of this water. And, you know, one interesting thing, speaking of Flint, uh, that I learned was a couple of things. First of all, you know, obviously, in an emergency of truly unsafe or toxic tap water, well, residents have to have an immediate source of emergency safe water. There is no denying that. And the, the, the residents in Flint demanded free bottled water distribution, and they got it. Um, but what I, what I write was they actually weren't demanding bottled water per se. They were demanding safe water. And there was, early on, there was an attempt 
to get the federal government to declare a major disaster declaration. The governor of Michigan and some of the activist groups pushed for it. And the Obama administration said no. They denied that declaration. That declaration would have opened the door to big tanker trucks full of bulk safe water, an alternative form of safe water that people could bring their own containers, fill up those containers. But, but that never happened. And as a result, for the next seven-plus years, you know, we all saw the images that those millions and millions, hundreds of millions of bottles of individual plastic single-serve bottled water were the only uh, alternative water source on offer, and those images went circulated around the world. Um, and, you know, I quote one activist, local resident and activist from Flint, um, uh, who talked about the fact that um, uh, uh, says if we didn't quote, if we didn't have bottled water as a safety option or a backup as a wet Band-Aid for Flint, our pipes would have been fixed a long time ago, unquote. So this idea that um, actually the availability, the easy, ready, relatively cheap availability of bottled water um, takes the pressure off of government officials, takes a, reduces the urgency that they feel to uh, solve the real root cause of these problems. Um, and, you know, we could think about what might have happened if the Flint disaster had occurred in, I don't know, 1980, you know, before plastic bottled water existed. What would the response have been? I think it's pretty likely that the response would have been a lot more pressure to get those, those lead pipes out of the ground and replace them and provide bulk tanker trucks of safe water in the meantime. Uh, so we can think about it that way. And um, I should also just really quickly mention the environmental impact because a lot of people are concerned yeah. about it. Bottled water has a much, much, much higher um, environmental footprint. It uses 1,000 to 2,000 times more energy per gallon than tap water. And its overall environmental impact could be up to 3,500 times more. It is also um, beverage bottles and their caps are the single biggest source of marine plastic waste. And, um, and bottled water is the biggest share of the almost 700 billion single-use plastic bottles that are used and disposed of every year. And I know you mentioned recycling. The U.S. recycling rate for these bottles is very low. It's 26%, and it's been inching down. Um, and worldwide, it's much lower, something like 7%. So a, a really high environmental impact as well. And I think, again, these are all important aspects. Did you find – I'm curious about this, Daniel. I don't know the answer, so I have to ask. Did you go into the book with a certain perspective in mind for the – for the, what you wanted the reader to take away, and did that change as you were doing the research and having these conversations? Well, I, I did go in with big open questions, but I also went in with a real interest in, um, in what the movements were, uh, that what, what, what um, movements and, 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 uh, and local communities were saying and, and demanding. So, yeah, my, my, my point of departure, if you want, was – why is this product creating so much of a backlash? And, and what is that backlash all about? Um, and along the way, I discovered some really fascinating statistics. For example, turns out that almost two-thirds of the bottled water that's on the shelves and sold here in the U.S. is actually just tap water. It's taken out of public water systems, uh, refiltered. The companies strip out the minerals, and they put in their own mineral mixes, you know, so that, um, like, Dasani tastes the same in Alabama as it does in California and Michigan. Um, and, and I think, incidentally, that may be one reason why people 
report that they don't like the taste of their tap water. Um, they may have been the palates may have sort of been been trained to by the by the the standardized taste of bottled water. But it's also true that um, the chlorine, the very chlorine that makes the tap water safe to drink, uh, does you know have uh, create byproducts and, and can have smell. Uh, some some authors say, hey, you know, the best thing to do if you're concerned about the smell or the taste is let your water stand in a pitcher in the fridge uh, for a couple hours and the smell goes away. But in any case, that's one thing. And the other thing that really surprised me was to learn about the uneven playing field when it comes to regulation of bottled water versus public tap water. It turns out that tap water is regulated by the EPA, the Environmental Protection Administration, um, very strict. Uh, tap water utilities have to test their water hundreds or even thousands of times a day. They're required to let the public know when there are contaminants found. They have to publish annual uh, reports on what they found in the tap water. On the other hand, bottled water, the bottled water industry is regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. And I say in the book, the difference between EPA and FDA regulation, it turns out, is like night and day. Um, not so much for the upper levels of the contaminants they're allowed to have in each. Those are fairly similar. But FDA regulation turns out to be a lot weaker, uh, partly because the industry is allowed to do its own testing. The FDA is understaffed. It does inspect bottling plants, but it doesn't do that very often. And it also is very hard for consumers to learn or to know when or if the bottled water they're consuming has had uh, contaminants detected or if there's been a recall. Um, the industry has been successful in getting the FDA uh, not to divulge that information. And so, you know, the problem with making a choice between the two, of course, is there's basically an information vacuum on the bottled water side of things in terms of learning what contaminants are in there. So we have to sort of rely on academic research. And one of the things we've learned through academic research is uh, bottled water has much higher levels of microplastics contamination, microplastic fragments. Uh, one researcher found that if somebody consuming only bottled water ongoing would consume 22 times more microplastics uh, into their body than if they were drinking only tap water. So a lot more plastic fragments there. Um, and under conditions of high heat um, and long storage, those PET plastic bottles are also have also, under certain circumstances, been shown to leach uh, substances like phthalates uh, and other contaminants. So it's tough to find out uh, what's actually in one's bottled water, and that is, I think, part of the uneven playing field. So, so Daniel, then what is your hope? Um, you are able to gather this information, share this, these findings. What is your hope that readers will think about before they grab that next bottled water? Well, I'd like to ask them to do a couple things. To think, first of all, about how it's connected to um, this crisis of water injustice, because I think it turns out we don't really have so much a widespread water safety problem in the U.S. as much as a water injustice problem. And also that the burden of paying for, you know, thousands of dollars or many, many hundreds of dollars per year in bottled water, that dependency on bottled water that really impacts um, lower income uh, communities and communities of color the most um, is, is, you know, sort of falling on those communities and that it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Um, we don't have to, there's nothing inevitable about continuing to depend on costly plastic bottled water. Um, the money exists 
to fix drinking water infrastructure, to make the tap water safe and reliable and affordable for everybody. It's not a fantasy that we could, we could fund that. The federal government funded uh, some very big investments back in 2021, some federal bills, and we need to do more. We can do more. Um, and I think, you know, one thing to consider is the, the, the concern about the fear of dependence on the private market for a good that is essential for life. Because, you know, one thing we know is that these companies are only in it for profit. That's obvious. But when a good or a substance that's essential for life is provided mainly or only by the market for profit, um, access to that substance is going to be based on people's ability to pay. And people will, you know, pay whatever the market will bear. And some percentage of folks will go without clean water. But the fear, obviously, is, is that fresh water becomes harder and harder to access or more scarce that that price will go up. And for me, the prospect of us becoming dependent on private companies for a substance that's essential for life um, is a scary one. And I, and I think that uh, it would be good for folks to look into an alternative. You talked about portability. Um, there's a movement now toward refillable water bottles and people uh, carrying these refillable metal or other substances of water bottles. And there are increasingly movements that are helping people find refilling points so they can get clean, free tap water. There's one app, phone app, called the Refill app. It's got 300,000 sites on it where you can sort of find the nearest source of, of free, clean tap water to you. Sometimes it's in like a private business, a coffee shop that won't make you buy anything, but they'll give you free tap water. And that is catching on. And the industry, the bottled water industry, is actually getting a little bit concerned about that. They say um, they are worried that that is cutting into their sales. And now 60% of Americans say, to carry a reusable water bottle. So I think, you know, despite the fears and the concerns, um, this idea of reinvigorating, uh, rediscovering public tap water, and cities around the country are um, really reinvesting. They're starting to build, you know, cities around the, around the country, counties, local governments, and it's one place where people can really get involved is at their school board level or their local city council level, county council persuading local officials to re reinvest in um, replacing those deteriorating public water fountains or the ones that disappeared from the local park with these shiny new attractive uh, hydration stations where you can fill up your water bottle in a special nozzle and sometimes they even tell you how many plastic water bottles you avoided. And those actually have filters built right into them that can be lead and, and copper filtering. Um, great story. Um, in, in up in Detroit, the Detroit public schools, uh, back in 2018, they shut off all the water fountains in their schools because they had discovered lead in the pipes in some schools. It wasn't in the city's water system. It was in local pipes inside some of the buildings. And, of course, they, they shut them off because of the, the fear of, of lead. But the story ended on a very different note because the superintendent uh, found some a uh, small amount of money, $3 million. $3 million, they were able to um, replace all the water fountains with lead filtering, shiny new hydration stations like the ones you sometimes see in airports, and give every one of their 50,000 students a um, new metal refillable water bottle. And they've now got clean water in the schools, and they have reinvigorated that practice, that culture of, of counting on the tap water. You know, when I was a kid, we drank the water from the water fountain in the school hallway. And... Um, it makes me sad to think about kids in schools never having the experience of being able to do something as simple as, as go to the water fountain to get a, 
a clean drink of water. And I think that example that's happening around the country, it proves that it is possible um, for us to, to reclaim the tap and, and turn back to the tap. It's a great conversation for us to be able to have, Daniel. We're glad to have your book to be a part of that. Again, everyone, Daniel Jaffe has been our guest. Unbottled is the book, The Fight Against Plastic Water and for Water Justice. As I mentioned, it's published by University of California Press. Daniel, really appreciate the conversation and the insight today. How can our audience stay connected with you? Yeah, thanks, Cyrus. Well, um, they certainly can look for the book. It's at University of California Press ucpress.edu. They can, they can find me on the web at my website, danieljaffe.net. That's J-A-F-F-E-E, double F-double-E. Right. Daniel, congratulations to you again, and thank you again for stopping by. really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your interest, Cyrus. Hey, glad to have you. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb, saying as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Let's go make today amazing. Take care. <laughs>